Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hey everybody just real quick before the show started uh this is steve and i just wanted to let you know for all the latest information on our podcast Hit us up on Twitter at E-I-L-F Movies. That's everything I learned from movies. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. If you're looking for incredible art or maybe gifts for an upcoming uh, birthday or Father's Day, Mother's Day, anything like that, Christmas, uh, you can check out Izzy's art at untidyvenus.etsy.com. You can also find us on all the uh, podcatchers like Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever they're calling it these days, Podcast Addict, uh, basically... Google us, you'll find us, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right, on with the show. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes a gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Stephen Eric Christopher Myers has written, produced, edited, acted in, and directed several independent films, including Roulette and his latest Butterfly Kisses, now streaming on Amazon Prime, where a filmmaker discovers a box of videotapes depicting two students' disturbing film project featuring a local horror legend, The Peeping Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Myers was kind enough to join us on Everything I Learned from Movies. Okay, I think it started here. Okay, excellent. Well, welcome. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we saw the movie last night, uh, Butterfly Kisses. It is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it's really we really good. liked it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Excellent. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I should introduce you. Uh, this is Eric Christopher Myers, uh, director of several movies, uh, his latest being uh, Butterfly Kisses, uh, now streaming on Amazon Prime, uh, if anyone has that service. And if you wouldn't mind uh, just, I guess, kind of telling us where you grew up, what your family life was like, and kind of how you, you got into movies. Yeah, no problem. I'm a Maryland native, and um, I grew up in the Hagerstown area, that's western Maryland, and moved to the Baltimore area when I was about, I guess, about 11 years old. And, um, you know, I grew up in an environment where there was a lot of, you know, sort of Civil War history, and it was obviously an environment that was rich with ghost stories and the supernatural and whatnot. And then, you know, I moved from that area to Baltimore uh, and thinking that it's going to be a completely different environment. And I end up in the Ellicott City region, which is also rich with a paranormal and supernatural sort of background. So I guess I've sort of been, you know, marinating in that culture my entire life. Excellent. Yeah, say the city of Edgar Allan Poe, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So that influences me as an artist and as a, you know, a storyteller. Excellent. And have you been in uh, there in the Baltimore area ever since? Yes, I have. So it's just been sort of 
you know, uh, growing up in that sort of culture of, again, you know, the supernatural and paranormal and all of that, that's very much influenced the sort of stories that I've wanted to tell in the, the films that I've made. And uh, what what were some of your uh, biggest influences growing up? Like, was there like a a teacher that kind of got you into movies or was it just kind of watching them growing up or a family member? I would say it was, um, you know, very much sitting in front of the television being of, you know, the, the HBO generation one. And uh, just watching movies that were playing over and over again and watching them, you know, over and over and over again and, uh, you know, reading comic books and, you know, discovering Spider-Man and Batman at an early age. But from there, you know, branching off on into, you know, EC Comics, Tales from the Crypt and all of that and. You know, the, the horror horror stories in particular spoke to me because there is a certain there's a certain power there. And when being traumatized at a young age uh, by a, a scary film or a scary story, whether that's, you know, a Stephen King uh, short story or what have you. You know, when you realize the sort of power that has over you, um, it also makes you realize in turn that. If you learn to wield that power, you can perhaps use that on other people. Um, and you mentioned like Tales from the Crypt, but what were like some of your your favorite horror movies and stuff growing up? Uh, growing up, I would say, and you know, it's funny that you ask that. I am wearing an an American Werewolf in London t shirt right now <laughs> yeah. as we speak. Um, that was a film that messed me up at an early age. The Exorcist also had a profound influence on me and, you know, the things that were, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, stories that were subversive and made you sort of question, um, you know, the, the, the conventions that we all know and understand growing up, you know, questioning your, uh, your, your shopkeepers, questioning your parents and, and your teachers and authority figures that, those were the things that most sort of disturbed me. If you can't trust the people you're supposed to trust in life, um, you know, then everything is called into question. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, so did you always want to be a movie director? Like, or did you go to school for anything else? Or um, Growing up, my thought always, uh, I, I always felt that storytelling was something that I wanted to do. And I was... You know, I was writing and drawing comic books and dabbling at screenplays uh, from a very, 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 very early age. And for whatever reason, I always questioned my capability when it came to making a film. I didn't think that I would be able to do that. And so I went into the teaching program in college with the thought that I would sort of, you know, sideways my way into the industry. Maybe I would write the great American novel or, you know, the great American horror novel or what have you. And um, at some point, having made some very, very bad um, student films with some friends who were, you know, filmmakers or amateur filmmakers, I realized, well, if they can do this, I can do this. <laughs> and, and, you know, I really started diving into independent film, particularly Coming out of the Baltimore area, you know, aside from Barry Levinson, who I guess, you know, would be considered one of our, you know, our 
auteurs from this region. You know, there's John Waters. And you look at John Waters, particularly early John Waters, and, you know, where it's all just scotch tape and popsicle sticks. And (laughs) having seen films like Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble and Desperate Living, I, I looked at these these things and went, you know, these are very subversive films. And I was introduced to these films when I was about 14 years old. And I was like, look, I mean, if you can rub two nickels together and you can find a new way to shock people or do something that's different, something that's off the beaten track, um, you know, you can make a film in your backyard. You can do something anywhere. You don't have to be in Hollywood. And then expanding from there and seeing filmmakers like Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson and going, you know, these guys are from, you know, not far from me or they're on the other side of the world in New Zealand and they are making these ultra low budget films and they're getting international attention and getting the car keys to Star Wars or or Spider-Man or the Lord of the Rings or, you know, big franchises. So that that was the jumping off point for me. Nice. Uh, so when so when you were first getting into the industry and making movies and stuff, was it right into directing, or I, I noticed you were also like a producer, an editor of several films? Uh, like like what was kind of the progression getting into the the industry? Um, what happened for me was growing up, I was always a drama snot, and I was always in the school play, and I was always in drama club, and. That was never because I wanted to be an actor. It was always because my philosophy was if I was ever going to, uh, you know, tell dramatic stories or if there was any chance that I was going to be involved in any way in the sort of uh, creative um, guidance of a narrative film, then I needed to understand what the process was for an actor. I needed to understand what it took for a person to go there. And so I always participated in the school plays. And then, you know, once I graduated from high school, I was working, um, you know, for local theater troops, whether that was running the lights or painting the sets or whatever that was. And then, you know, going to the after parties at the local bars, even when I wasn't old enough to drink, uh, just to be able to sort of mingle with everyone and, you know, get my toe in there and go, hey, you know, I've I've written this script or I've got this concept or whatever. Um, Again, just trying to network, but also understand what the creative process for everyone was. And having worked then on some very, very, very terrible films, as I said, very low budget, you know, films with my friends in our backyards, um, I started to realize, well, you know, if I have stories and I have concepts and I have this, you know, encyclopedia of knowledge of of films and film history, you know, I, I'm as into Nosferatu as I am, you know, into whatever just came out last week. Um, I, I'm into all of this and I can see what I'm writing. So why am I not just doing it? Yeah. Excellent. And, and I guess your first, like your first big, uh, chance at directing was with 2012's Roulette, uh, which I, I just, I haven't seen, but I read the synopsis or the, yeah, basically the synopsis and it's a deadly game of Russian roulette for uh, last session of group therapy. How, uh, 
how did that come about? Like, uh, how did you like raise the funds and get everything set up for that? Roulette was a film that I made coming out of school. And, you know, my feeling was I, I didn't go to college right away. And part of that was I was, um, you know, bouncing sort of from local production to local production. I was trying to, as I said before, uh, you know, get into various theater troops and, and, and working behind the scenes in whatever capacity I could while waiting tables. And at some point I decided, look, I just need to go to school for this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working all day painting a set and then I'm sitting in a restaurant all night studying the, uh, you know, the works of Paul Schrader and trying to write my own screenplays. I'm just going to go to school for this. And the thing that I got out of that and the thing that I would always encourage a film student to understand is that, you know, going to school for the arts, whether that is as a filmmaker or you are a, you know, a dancer or a painter or whatever your, um, you know, your creative, um, you know, goal and, and, and career plan is – if you get your degree, it is absolutely meaningless. And all that it all that it demonstrates is the fact that you were able to, um, you know, learn the basic toolkit. You understand that, you know, this does that. And, you know, the history of this paintbrush means, you know, X, Y or Z. At the end of the day, though, when you graduate, all it demonstrates is that you were able to learn whatever somebody told you. All art is subjective, and just because you got a degree in dance doesn't mean that you can dance anything that anybody wants to see. And so you really need to treat school as a social networking opportunity more than anything else. So in the case of filmmakers, what you really need to be doing is you need to be finding uh, you know, say you are a writer director like myself, you need to go, okay, who are the standout cinematographers here in um, the program? Who are the actors who are getting the most attention, et cetera, and building your sort of team and trying to work with them while you're in school and, you know, getting your A's, getting your, your grades, getting your whatever. But then when you're done with school, when you graduate, you need to say, okay, I got the piece of paper. Awesome. Now, what do we do? We need to be entrepreneurs about this. And we can either, you know, move to L.A. or New York and get a job getting somebody their coffee on set. Or we can get actual credits on our, um, you know, on our resumes that will translate, hopefully, to jobs, to paying jobs. And the only way to do that is to forge your own road. So let's make an independent film. And that's what I did with Roulette. And Roulette was very much a case of me saying, I've got a screenplay and I want to direct a film. And I worked with you and I worked with you and I worked with you. And we all got along really well in school. Let's make an independent film. Let's try to get into uh, various film festivals. Let's get a distributor. Let's get it out there. And let's try to get some attention. And we did that. Yeah, excellent. And, and of course, uh, you know, a couple of editing jobs and stuff uh, since Roulette as well. Is that more uh, just working with that same group and other people directing or just kind of other projects you were involved, were excited to work with? Or how, how does that all work? 
I mean, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. And, you know, the, the big deal is that when you are making an independent film, and a lot of people don't realize this, these these films, when you are working on an independent level, um, you know, most of the money is coming out of your pocket and you have a day job. And that means that it's a lot of overnights and weekend warrior sort of stuff. So a film can take several years to make. And, you know, while you're doing that, um, you know, you you can get burnout, you can get tired, but you can also, um, you know, just be meeting other people and finding other avenues and other opportunities. So while you're making a long term project, you know, you meet another person who needs their film edited. So you edit the film or, or you write a screenplay for another project or what have you. So, yeah, it's been a lot of, um, you know, doing scratching a lot of itches along the way. And again, uh, of course, the, the latest movie, Butterfly Kisses, again, currently streaming on Amazon Prime. If you're listening to this or available through many outlets, uh, it's it's a new take on like the found footage genre. That's, you know, everybody knows it's. It, it's cost effective, uh, but can have some really interesting narratives and ways of telling the story. Uh, what what was your your influence for uh, developing like this screenplay and this story? Um, you know, it's interesting that you say cost effective, and you know, it's it's a lot of people think that with a genre like this that. Okay, it doesn't cost as much because you don't need cranes and you don't need dollies and you don't you don't have to, you know, come up with something as slick and cinematic that it can look run and gun and that you use that to your advantage. And I absolutely agree with that. I can I can completely see that. And in a way, it's harder. It's harder than to do something like this, because in a way um, the less convincing it is, the more the seams show. Um, having done films before this, and this is the first thing I've ever done that was a, you know, a finger quotes found footage movie. Um, everything else I had done before had, again, been very much, you know, cranes and dollies and steady cams and everything like that. And I thought this would be easier. It wasn't. It was actually the exact opposite because if you did not find a way to make it look convincing, um, it looked less convincing, if that makes any sense at all. It looked like you were trying to fake something that was really happening in front of you. Um, what sort of influenced this, what what inspired it was at the end of 2014 and Roulette came out at the end of 2013 and I was trying to figure out what my next project would be. And I had a bunch of ideas and I was sort of sitting on them for about a year. And at the end of 2014, I saw a commercial or a trailer on TV and I don't remember which film it was, but it was for a found footage movie, like, uh, you know, the new paranormal activity or whatever it was. And I started thinking back to that window in time at the end of, or in the middle of, 99 when the Blair Witch Project came out and everybody thought that that movie was real for a few minutes. Mm. And, you know, I, I started thinking about all of the found footage movies that followed after. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, the Blair Witch Project wasn't the first film to ever do this. Uh, before that, there had been Cannibal Holocaust and Manyo yeah. Kanye and other films of that sort. But 
Blair Witch was the one that brought it into the commercial mainstream. And, you know, what was in the moment a revolutionary film became just, you know, the, you know, predecessor to an entire subgenre of movies that followed. Paranormal Activity, The Last Exorcism, even Cloverfield, um, you know, movies of that sort that, that branched out um, and became other genres. And, you know, I, I started thinking about it and going, okay, so if all of these films are operating under the auspice that we are watching something that is discovered, um, you know, videotape or film canisters of, um, you know, documentation involving filmmakers who have allegedly died or disappeared under mysterious circumstances involving an alleged supernatural incident. And we are now watching this and we're supposed to be taking it at face value and it's real. Who found that footage? Who who discovered it? When they discovered it, what caused them to, you know, pick up this box of tapes or these film canisters or whatever and decide they were going to thread their way through them and they were going to look at it and go, hey, what I'm watching is real. This isn't, you know, an unfinished horror film or a student project or whatever. What I'm looking at is real. I need to go to the police. I need to go to the authorities. I need to vet that this is you know, legitimate? Who are the people who are featured in here? What is the process that leads from someone discovering that to it playing in a movie theater? Because that's the story that is never told in these films. And of course, you know, my wheels started turning and, you know, from there it turned into butterfly kisses. Yeah. And it's, it's like an incredible film. Like, like we were watching it and it's kind of like, you know, we, we watch a lot of shows like uh, Ghost Adventures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, this is all evidence and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it's also heavily edited and it's all that. So it's like, how evidence is it? That kind of thing. So we, we already have that kind of skeptical mind kind of going in with watching a movie mm-hmm. like this, where it's kind of like, oh, well, if they don't, anyway, I don't want to give anything away, but it's actually a really good story and like things come to light. In a, in a good way. I, I would just highly recommend that anyone yeah, go watch the, this. The movie characters call each other out. And I really, I, I really like the fact that you made the main protagonist kind of unlikable. Um, <laughs> it, it just works so well in the storytelling because like you are forced to believe his narrative, even though, you know, he's unreliable the whole way through. And, uh, and so it's just, it's great because, it, you know, it challenges you as an, as an audience member. And that sounds super filmy and douchey. And I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I approached this from, you know, two very, very specific places. And that is that on the one hand, I'm a filmmaker. And um, in addition to being a filmmaker, I've done a lot of writing. I've, I've done a lot of academic criticism. And you know, obnoxious as that sounds, I'm, I'm stating it only because I love the nuts and bolts and mechanics of storytelling. And so, you know, looking at the genre and saying, I have an opportunity here to comment on the genre in a way that I am sort of going, okay, we're all familiar with the tropes. We're all familiar with the conventions. Let us show them and then let us comment upon them. To me, that was very much, um, you know, very much a a self-reflexive opportunity for me. 
And then on the other hand, I am somebody who is really, really into folklore, urban legends, conspiracy theories, cryptozoology, the paranormal. I'm really, really geeky into all of that. So this was a fantastic way for me to be able to, you know, make a film that also commented upon film, but also utilized skeptical inquiry and all of the stuff that, as I said earlier, I marinated in growing up, all of the, you know, the ghost stories and the legends of my region. And, you know, to whip it all together and to throw a protagonist in there who I considered an unreliable narrator. Either you, you know, found him charismatic in a positive way or you found him charismatic in a negative way. Regardless, you went with him on this journey. And I guess it was, you know, sort of Luke Skywalker going into the tree on Dagobah. You know, what you what you take in with you is what you bring out. And hopefully we throw, a cur- you know, a curveball or two at you on the way. Oh, yeah, there's a few. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, and... Uh, so there, I guess your uh, new project in post-production is uh, Eight Ball Clown. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the producers on Butterfly Kisses is a filmmaker named Mark Shell, and he has done a number of films also here in Baltimore. And I have been working with him on his new film, Eight Ball Clown. So it's been very, very different from Butterfly Kisses, but it's been a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, what uh, it didn't have a synopsis. Like, what what's it about? Um, I'll tell you what. After you see Eight Ball Clown One when it comes out sometime here in 2019, let's talk about Eight Ball Clown Two. But oh. um, uh, if you if you enjoy clowns who shoot heroin and kill people, then you know, <laughs> yeah, very different from anything I've done before. <laughs> very very different. Sounds sounds absolutely terrifying. It is, <laughs> it is <laughs> terrifying. Is it going to have a shakes the clown sort of vibe? Um, yes, yes, uh, <laughs> probably darker than shakes the clown, but yeah, along those, along those lines. Uh, we'll have to check that out. And that's, that's coming sometime later this year. You said. Yeah, sometime. Yeah, I'm actually uh, sitting here and I'm cutting the footage right now. So it's um, it's something we've been working on over the past couple of months. And it's been a lot of fun. There have been some people who were involved with Butterfly Kisses and some other projects. And, you know, it's been an opportunity to get together and drink some beers and just make sort of a, you know, an intentional, um, you know, USA up all night style horror film. And, you know, no pretensions at all. Just enjoying ourselves. Excellent. And are there any uh, dream projects you'd like to be a part of, like any particular um, I don't know, reboots or whatever, or like any other kind of stories you, you want to tell? Somebody's going to um, hand you the keys to the kingdom. Which kingdom do you want? You oh, go. that's that is so hard. I mean, you know, I've got a number of, of scripts here that I'm sort of shopping around and I'm, I'm looking at. But if somebody was going to put keys in my hand, I think that my dream project uh, is a black and white novel accurate version of Dracula it, because it's never been done. That's just one of my dream projects. If I could do it. Nice. Like, like one, uh, like the Bram Stoker's Dracula, like torn from the notebooks and stuff like that. Yeah. Except I feel like if it's going to be called Bram Stoker's Dracula, it should actually be the novel um, yeah. rather than with, you know, love stories that are sort of, you know, artificially <laughs> crafted to it. 
But Keanu Reeves and, yeah. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Except in my version, Keanu Reeves would be Dracula, so. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Hey, we're here in San Francisco. We have personally seen the 17th century painting of Keanu Reeves. It's real. Nice, nice. You're in San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. Well, what are you guys doing next week? Because this movie, Butterfly Kisses, is playing at the uh, the the Found Footage Festival next week. What? Oh, I didn't even know there was a Found Footage Festival. It's on Thursday night. It's at the UFF, so you guys got to go check it out. Oh, you have to go right. check that out. Looking Thursday it up night. now. Yes, hey. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Look, I'm plugging the festival. We are opening the festival. You guys got to go check it out. Go, yeah. go hang out there. I will. I will be shown theoretically in all my glory doing a pre-recorded uh video um introduction that'll that'll be thrown up there on the big screen so you got to go and throw popcorn and spit it you know <laughs> Boo. Exactly. i mean i mean yay <laughs> excellent yeah we'll have to go check that out and uh just other notes we got a couple other uh quick fire questions um what's your favorite kind of music like what kind of what kind of music do you listen to in the car and sing along to that is like the coolest question that no one has ever asked me in regards to filmmaking. Um, <laughs> I, I worship at the altar of the Beatles. Uh, I think that goes without saying that they are the greatest band that uh, has you know ever been. But if I were to then drop down, you know, twenty steps to whoever you know the the second place band would be, that's tough. I'm I'm kind of all over the place. I love punk music, so I you know listen very much to, um, you know, Bad Religion and Social Distortion and Goldfinger. However, uh, Faith No More, Bay Area band, they are one of my favorites of all time. Um, big fan of Poe. She's incredible, but I also listen to German opera I'm, and movie soundtracks. So I'm I'm really all over the place. I'm kind of unreliable in that respect. <laughs> nice. And uh, what kind of things do you do in your free time? Do you have like any other hobbies besides movie making or any uh, special skills? I am uh, on the board of directors of the Howard County Autism Society, so we do a lot of work out here. I do a lot of volunteer stuff, and um, you know, I run a social group on Saturday night for adults on the spectrum, and we go out to movies, or we have potlucks and have game nights and things like that. Um, I do a lot of MC stuff for them and host events, and that's a lot of fun. Um, uh, filmmaking, uh, autism volunteer work. I play bass and sing and try to sleep whenever humanly possible, which is not often <laughs> at all. Yeah, say so all that stuff. It's like, uh, what, when do you sleep? Like, yeah, I, I work it in my schedule sometimes, you know, hour exactly. here, two hours there. <laughs> exactly. Who needs, who needs sleep? You'll sleep when you die. And I know that's like, you know, an offset thing, but it is true. <laughs> And, of course, uh, the name of our podcast is Everything I Learned from Movies. Are there any lessons that you've learned, either in your life or through working with movies, that you'd like to pass along to our listeners? Um, well, you know, I'd mentioned before that going to school, if you are someone who wants to be a filmmaker, first of all, if filmmaking, whatever capacity that is, whether you want to be a director or a writer or a cinematographer, um Remember, your Mac or your PC laptop that you buy at Best Buy already comes pre-installed with better software and capabilities than anything Orson Welles or Alfred Hitchcock ever could have dreamed of. So you're already ahead of the game. And with things like YouTube and what have you, um, you know, the world is your oyster. 
practice, 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 and don't be afraid of films with subtitles that are in black and white that were made before you were born, um, you know, or that, that are European or what have you. Uh, watch what you can, read as much as you can, nonfiction in particular, absorb as much information as humanly possible, read the newspaper, watch the news. All of these things completely influence the creative process. And if you do go to school, as I said, remember that your diploma, your degree is meaningless. It is what you do while you're there, who you work with, and those relationships that you forge. That's what's important. And if we're going to take this into a totally esoteric place, I would say the biggest lesson that you can apply in your life if we're to compare film to your everyday process is always be aware that outside of your frame, there is a set of lights and there's a key grip eating a sandwich. That is as true of movies as it is of your worldview. There's always a guy sitting there eating a sandwich. <laughs> excellent excellent advice thank you very much uh mr myers yeah, thank you for joining us i would greatly appreciate it uh please keep us posted let us know when like eight ball clown and of course eight ball clown 2 is coming out um <laughs> and yeah we'll definitely have to check out the uh, found footage festival i've got it all paired up to buy yeah, tickets excellent <laughs> sweet thank you both so much this was a lot of fun i really appreciate the opportunity Thank you. Feel free to come back anytime. And if you find yourself in San Francisco, feel free to hit us up. Absolutely. Without question. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Mr. Myers. Have a great evening. (laughs) Thank you both. Bye. So, yeah, that was Eric Myers. Oh, my God. He's so great. He's so nice. Yeah, real good dude. Good stories. Yeah. Yeah, He's a real passion for filmmaking, which you can tell. Absolutely. Um, and we did end up going to the uh, Unnamed Film Festival. So much uh, three fun. Days later. That was like the best idea we've ever gotten. Yeah, it was a great little venue there. Um, I, oh, my God, I forgot the, the name Overlook. of the venue. The Overlook. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Overlook yeah. Hour, the Overlook Hour podcast. Uh, maybe collaborating with them soon. <gasps> uh, met them, met a couple of other directors and stuff mm-hmm. there. Yeah, apparently um, the Overlook has uh, a stock of like 35,000 films that are all these like. Weird. They're all in like 35 millimeter film, and it's all like weird experimental films, and they f- they play those every once in a while. Wait, was that next to their smoking room? Because that sounds right? like it could be no, a hazard. No, it's in the basement of that really <laughs> cool old building. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Actually, mm-hmm. can't wait for it to come around next year, and hopefully, we'll know about it before we make plans. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so but go yeah. see Butterfly Kisses, everybody. It's on Amazon. Do it. Yeah, it's it's fucking awesome. Rate it. Uh, that helps it get seen more. And uh, yeah, his next dream project can get funded, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so until next time, I'm Steve. And I'm Izzy. And this is Everything, Everything I, I Learned, Learned from, from movies. movies. Have a good night, everybody. Night.